and welcome to East Norfolk's Politics Podcast, Ian The Loop. I'm your host, Jared. I'm back after a slightly longer absence than the others, joined by Killian and Sam today. Hiya. We don't have as much to cover today, with our topics being the European Court of Human Rights blocking the flights to Rwanda, Julian Assange's extradition to America, and Boris Johnson refusing to meet MPs at an address in the Red Wall and going to Kiev instead. So I think we should start with the Rwanda flights. Um, any opinions on that? Uh, I'm glad it was cut off because the European Court of Human Rights has every right to intervene in our um, immigration yeah. policy. Can you even call that a policy? It's a bit of a joke. But it was going to cost hundreds of thousands of pounds to send seven migrants to Rwanda. So, I mean, it saves, one, saves the British taxpayers a bunch of money, and two, is morally, you know, it's a bit morally corrupt. Don't do it. And thank you to the European Court of Human Rights. I know you're not listening, but thank you for stopping that. Not, not to mention these people are asylum seekers. They're not regular immigrants. They're asylum seekers. They're fleeing war-torn countries with horrible living conditions to search for a better life. And we just want to send them to Rwanda where, no offence to the Rwandan government or the people of Rwanda, but the living standards there aren't exactly what you'd describe as great. The country has a history of human rights abuses, which doesn't really stand as a, you know, good point for me. Yeah, like, such as the Rwandan genocide, which was only, what, about 25, 30 years ago? It's, quite, it's still relevant today, but at least the government that did it is c- completely gone now. Yeah, long gone. Yeah. But a place for women, mostly. Another point is, is that um, instead of... Cause a lot of migrants, I think it was 33 originally, a lot of them were taken off the flight, so there'd be seven sent. Instead of, because we can't send them because of the European Court of Human Rights, we're tagging them instead now. We're ta- the government's tagging the migrants. They're testing a pilot scheme. They're tagging the migrants. Those are going to be going to Rwanda. Because that makes sense. Yeah, just limit their freedom even more. Also, um, it's kind of the fact that the European Court of Human Rights is intervening is I mean I'd love to hear, hear what, what Brexiteers like Nigel Farage would have to say about that because um, it's more proof that Brexit didn't do what it set out to do and that's give more control to Britain but uh, I do actually think it's a good thing though that they did intervene though ironically the European Court of Human Rights and the European Convention on Human Rights was set up by Winston Churchill after the war and most of its legislature was written by British scholars so it's a bit of a shame that Many Eurosceptics in Britain will constantly blame the continental system instead of realising that, first of all, it's set up by the British, second of all, it helps the British people, and third, you can't trust the government with your rights, as has been shown by the policing bill and the fact that we are even trying to send migrants to Rwanda. We're not Denmark, we don't have to do it. Absolutely, and also, Priti Patel has described this ruling as scandalous. I do have some choice words for Priti Patel, but... That will be covered a bit later. (laughs) And I don't understand what she's really thinking about this. It's not scandalous at all. It's really what was to be expected, as you you mentioned earlier. Fully legal. Yeah. And with seven people on one flight, just on a completely different topic to the moral argument, it's not cost-effective whatsoever. I mean, seven people, one plane, all the way to Rwanda, that's going to cost thousands for seven people, and also, uh, and also partially, the um, the idea of the was to discourage migrants from making the crossing uh, across the north, uh, not the North Sea, the English Channel, and 
but it's not going to break the business model of those human traffickers in the slightest because they're actually going to be uh, like they don't care about what happens to the migrants once they make the crossing yeah. all that matters is just that there are migrants doing it so it's not really going to stop any, any of them yeah because all they care about is the money really mm. as long as they're getting money they're happy they don't really care about the migrants they'll dump them anywhere Exactly. That's shown by wasn't it a bunch of Vietnamese migrants came across in a lorry, and they all died on the way. And that was in a Dover last year, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. No, not last year. A couple of years ago, but that was a horrible yeah. case of. I think it was just before the lockdown, yeah. if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, I think that just shows really how little they care. So it's not really going to change much. It's just going to say. This isn't our problem, this is your problem now. Yeah, it, one thing that I've noticed is that so many people um, consider immigration like it's this like cancer or disease needs to be controlled or stopped, but it's really not. It literally it has a net positive for the economy. It helps out the country so much, but there's this xenophobia sur surrounding it. I saw it on BBC Question Time. It's genuinely alarming and disgusting how many people are terrified of these immigrants. And like, and I, I literally get taught in school about why immigration isn't a bad thing, and why it, and why it's it's good for the country and doesn't take jobs or anything like that, and why if anything it creates more, and yet people are still believing in xenophobia and these Rwanda plans. Another thing I want to establish as well is these people aren't even illegal immigrants; these people are legal asylum seekers who have applied for asylum, and they're just being sent to Rwanda. That's not going to help anything. It's supposed to be for processing them, so they can eventually either go back to their home country or stay in Rwanda or stay in the UK. Just keep them here. It, it costs less, and I you, don't, you can I still don't see the problem. Yeah, you I can still very easily process them here. Like, Plus, it's your human right when you're a refugee to choose your country that you want to go to. And we're taking that away by sending them to a country which doesn't really have good human rights uh, standing point. No, it's not great. Yeah, they've never really had a very good track record, have they, the Rwandans? In fairness, though, uh, I, I, I kind of like the idea that they're sending specifically men to a, a, a female-dominated country because of the, the demographics. But other than what? that, I can't think of a single positive of this uh, of this program. That's men of working age being sent to a country they don't want to be in, I instead know. of you know keep them here, give them work. I'm sure they'd be I'm sure they'd be willing to work in yeah. the UK, considering yeah. they've come all the way from could be Syria, could be Afghanistan. Well, the, these are men of working age that could very much contribute to our economy. That we're just shipping off to Rwanda for processing. Since Boris has made so many jobs, then why don't we give them? You know, give them away. Mm. Exactly. It's such a high employment. It just market. doesn't make sense. And the one thing that really, really ticks me off, the one thing that I do fault for the European Court of Human Rights for, is it took until two minutes before scheduled takeoff to make this decision. The decision should have been made weeks ago that this was completely out of the out of order, out of the question. This is not the way to do it. At least it was stopped in the end. Yeah. It was stopped, but it should have been stopped much sooner. Moving on, the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, has approved the extradition of Julian Assange, founder of WikiLeaks, and who I believe 
is very much an advocate for freedom and freedom of information and overall just free press mm. and i think this sets a very very dangerous precedent for the future of any budding journalists who may want to get into the political sphere because it just shows that whilst yes this information was leaked he was not the one who leaked it he was merely a whistleblower it sets a very dangerous precedent. It's been alleged by the US that he leaked it, but since the US can't really prove it, then it doesn't have any standing yeah. on a legal basis. I very much don't believe that he leaked it. Well, technically, by being the founder and owner of WikiLeaks, he should have checked, but that's not what his website's for. His website's for, you put this document on here, and I will publish it no matter what. Yeah. So it goes against... At the Quite end of the, at the end of the day, yes, WikiLeaks is merely just a whistleblowing front. Mm -hmm. But I think we need things like that because at the end of the day, it's freedom of information, and in some cases, such as the case of Julian Assange, a lot of it is exposing very bad things, such as war crimes, such as the U.S. war crimes in Iraq. Yeah, and it sets a very dangerous precedent because it shows that any journalism, whether whistleblowing or just journalism in general that makes a state look bad especially a state as powerful as the United States yeah. it just sets this precedent that they can go out and they can get him to be fair the only reason he's in Belmarsh prison because he was stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy for nine years is because he released a bunch of documents condemning the Ecuadorian government and they got sick of him so they just kicked them out yeah and I definitely <laughs> understand that but at the same time he shouldn't have been held there in the first place. No, was, he was scared of um, being convicted of either a sexual assault or a rape case in Sweden, which has been dropped, yeah. by the way. It, it was dropped quite so a while ago. He's been held without charge for... Three years. Three years, yeah. Since 2019 in Belmarsh Prison. Don't worry, Pretty Patel made the decision, so that's another thing we can blame on her. Yeah, this, this entire rant is basically just, I hate Pretty Patel. Getting a better foreign secretary. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's impressive how yeah. how someone can be so hated, like with with Pretty Patel. Yeah, she's he, reached new heights. She's she's modern Thatcher, I believe. No one likes her. Yeah, not even he, the cabinet does. Right, he's been given fourteen days to appeal the decision, which at least he's been given chance to appeal. But fourteen days is not a very long time. No, and I'm pretty sure his uh, it was either sentenced in absentia while he was in the UK. Or when he gets to the US, he'll be sentenced to like is it 200, 300 years. I present? think it's 213 years. I may be <sighs> wrong, but it's around that. And I think his only real chance of being saved from extradition, and it's not even a real chance because of how close the UK is with the US diplomatically, is if the new Australian Labour <laughs> government, who have been vocally in support of him, yep. demand his return. Because he is, he's neither, because he is neither a British citizen, nor is he a US citizen. He is an Australian citizen. They have every right to demand his return. It's just whether they do or not. Hopefully the new Labour government under... So, I've just been told, <laughs> Australia aren't going to demand his return, which I think is a bit stupid. Especially with how vocal they've been in support of him. It's their choice. But at the end of the day, it is their choice. I mean, the, uh, Scott Morrison wasn't great, and I'm hoping uh, our new Labour government. Ian, he was only elected a couple of months ago. Yeah. But 
think this is very much off topic, but I hope he does a much better, much better job than the Liberal government that Australia. Scott had. Morrison was awful. He was an attack on democracy and journalism and freedom, and I am glad he's gone. Yeah, and even if the Australian Labour government, because of course we we now know that they're not going to demand his return, at least we now know that Australia's in somewhat safe hands. Well, his. Assange's fate is either in his lawyer's hands or the mercy of the UK and if they're willing to back uh, someone seeking you could even say seeking asylum in the country to stay out of the US especially because he's he's on constant suicide watch as well because yeah. of, he's what had 12 years without freedom stuck in the stuck in the MC then stuck in their prison yeah he's had very limited freedom and he's been outside I would like to say maybe once in the past three years and that was when he was being transferred from the Ecuadorian embassy to Belmarsh prison. Which isn't... That's not a lot of time. That's not good yeah. for your mental health. Plus, it's not freedom. No. Our third and, I believe, final topic. Boris Johnson has made another visit to Kiev after pulling out of a Red Wall summit pretty much last minute. And this was... This is something I've not really read on much. I cannot lie. It's almost like he wants to alienate his own voters. Because if he wa- he's already cracked the red wall, but if he wants to maintain it since he's so unpopular, then he probably should have gone and spoken to them. It's good that he's voicing active support for Ukraine, but I feel like it was in retribution to many of the other Western leaders that have recently visited Kiev, and it's a way of him returning and showing that Johnson's on top of Europe. Yes, and, and while I do understand that to an extent, like it's good to have the UK as sort of a major diplomatic player... We still would have been whether or not Johnson made that visit. And I think going to this summit, speaking to people in the Red Wall, would have been a much better use of his time than going to Kiev and visiting Zelensky and Ukrainian officials again. I think both of those things are amazing that they've happened. But he could have given it a day instead of immediately wanting to prove that Johnson is you know, in support of Ukraine instead of... His own country. Yeah, especially because if I've... What I've just read on this article is that the group conference were actually told that Boris was on the train to Doncaster the same morning that he'd gone off to Kiev. Which doesn't really look good on him. To be fair, someone would probably... uh, I don't think many in the Red Wall would be happy to see Johnson there anyway. Yeah, but it's, be- not but it's better popular. to have the Prime Minister there and sort of being open to negotiation and talks with them rather than just him not show up. There isn't much point because he is the sole figurehead of the party since everyone else is so unpopular. And without him, there isn't a lot of charisma or backing for conservatism at the moment because of its standing in society. Yeah, like, I, I can't lie. I, I used to have some quite conservative leanings, but... I couldn't ever support the Conservative Party just because there's not really any cohesion there. I can understand why you would have supported historical conservatism because they have been brilliant. But modern conservatism, Cameron just cut public spending. May wasn't great, I can't lie, but she didn't. She also had a minority. May, May was so very was... much held back by her own government. Yeah. And Johnson has been the worst prime minister for democracy just to ever exist. Absolutely. And the way the Conservative Party is going at the minute, 
with the amount of sort of I don't know really how to explain it, but they're sort of breaking apart, and it's a party divided. They, yeah, they are a divided party. They are a which house doesn't divided. Their mandate, and uh, it's just the mere fact that Johnson's still in power. He's the least electable figure in the United Kingdom at the moment, yeah. and the Conservatives, I believe, will go on to lose the next election if Boris stays as leader of the party and attempt to be prime minister again. But my only thought on that is, if not Boris, then who? I wouldn't mind Ben Wallace, but everyone else. I don't like Ben Wallace. Why do you like Ben Wallace? He he's, he's he's he works in the military. Military officials, um, and also I know that he's he, that uh, maybe I'm wrong. Was he one nation or, or that's right? He's quite not telling on his political views because his job is to solely be military. Advisors. Yeah, that's why. So, sorry, not because yeah, not he, he he's supposed to be, he, he, he's a military advisor. Yeah, and he's Milit- the only person in the government at the moment who can do his job well. No, he's the only he's the person who's got who's got the highest poll ratings. No. Right, try and ah, uh, this is gonna be a bit of a tangent. But what government minister do you think is doing their job well at the moment? Honestly. None. To no. me, none. To me, none. Other I can't than Ben Wallace on defence, which In my opinion, he's just the best of a bad bunch, really. Yeah. yeah. Like He's far from ideal, Plus but he's not what other choice known. do the Conservatives really have? They've got Jeremy Hunt, who yes. lost massively to Johnson in 2019 in the leadership election. They've the only got person who I'd want to see is, is Jeremy Hunt, because he was the leader of the rebellion. True, but the rebellion lasted for about four hours and then ended once Johnson won his um, no-confidence vote. Um, I mean, he, he still has a chance in the next leadership to election. Be honest, though, I have more th- faith in Boris than in Ben Wallace, and that's just because he is part. He, he's a, he's a military man. I know I you're against the military. Do not bring your own military. Ah, uh, I just think the fact that he's the only government minister who's successful at his job so, helps so, his case. So my question yeah. to you here is: we're very much off tangent at the minute, but that doesn't matter. My question to you is: do you believe that being a military official or a military advisor and holding office in government should be mutually exclusive? In my opinion, yes. Why? Explain yourself. Because I, I think that the, the, the military is inherently something, something that shouldn't really be politicised, and I also think that, uh, that I just think that, that, um, that being a military is very unhealthy, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's, not a, it's not something that, that, that should exist, in my opinion. A military shouldn't exist. But we and do live in the modern world where we do need a military. Yes, I know, but you, what you're saying is, is it is this way... That, 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 that doesn't change what, change what I just said. No, it doesn't. I'm just pointing out that we need a military. Yeah. And military advisors, no matter who they are, it doesn't... No, that's a bad point. Ben I, Wallace I think being what a military you're trying advisor to say is, doesn't count towards the fact that he's being good at his job. Yeah, I right. suppose you're right so, there, yeah. I think what you're trying to say is, it is unfortunate, but at the current time, with the current state of society, it is a necessary evil. Yeah, is just, that, yeah. Is that like basically nuclear weapons. I personally am against them, but they are a necessary evil. For as long as we can uh, aim to get rid of them, I say aim for it. I genuinely believe, though, that with military and with nuclear weapons, if the entire world collectively signs treaties to get rid of them, which they, they were doing for a while and, the, the, and some momentum was being gained, then we, we can then we, we can get rid of them and, and, and not have the need for military. I think... The fact that of how polarised world politics is at the moment, it will not happen anytime soon. But maybe in the future, with the fall of oppressive regimes and militarism in society, it might happen. 
Yeah. Okay, Sam. I want it to happen, though, personally. Sam, I want to hear your opinion on this as well. What are your thoughts on sort of, like, military and government being mutually exclusive? Well, to have a standing military not tied to the government gives it its own independence, which is... Which basically just makes them a mercenary Which isn't a good idea, yeah. Which which isn't a good idea. I have... I believe that it's inherently good that it's tied to government because then the government exercises some sort of control over it. Because if the government doesn't exercise control over the military, then that's one small group of people that hold an immense but, amount of power. But like I asked Killian, do you think military people should hold position in government as well? I don't see why not. It's their democratic right to. No, I, I don't think while they're, hold, while, they're in the, while they're working for the military, though. I, I understand both points of view here. I feel like my opinion falls somewhere in the middle, where it's yeah. absolutely their democratic right, but I also sort of align with Killian's viewpoint of not while they hold military posts that's fair because I feel like that grants the military a lot of influence in government see this is on my opinion I don't think any MP should work a second job while they're attempting to run the country I agree I agree agree with that as well because it's one it's a really bad worth ethic and two it's not very democratic is it no not really which is why I'll agree with your point on that but I'm I don't see the problem with military leaders entering into government like if they're former military I'm all for it. There's is Ben Wallace former military? I believe he is. I don't believe he holds any position in the I, I will check this. I will check this. If he's former military, fair enough. But I don't trust military men, basically, or women. Military women, that's Can I ask why? Just because uh, it takes a specific type of person to go into the military. And it's someone who, although, may, although I'm sure maybe they're good people, you know, have served our country and all that... It takes a very specific person to go into the military, and that's someone who has decided to choose violence as a way of sorting problems. And most militaries don't involve I know violent fighting, though. I know, but what I'm saying is that if I if conscription was ever going to happen, and I couldn't be uh, what was it moral conscientious objector, conscientious objector, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, I, I would work as a medic and as well, nothing you the else. military corps. Yeah, well, whatever's, whatever's healing Sorry, instead, of, instead of doing damage. What branch would you join, Sam? Um, ah. Uh, I'd join the I'd, Air Force. I'd probably join infantry, because I am definitely not smart enough to fly a plane, and I'm not, I can't swim enough to join the... I, I can't swim, I can't yeah. swim. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, did, I did just have a quick search. Ben Wallace is former military, so he doesn't so. currently okay. hold any position in the military. He's just Secretary of State for Defence. Which I think is fine. Yeah, he fits I the suppose, role. Yeah, he yeah, that's fits fine. The role. He, he, he's qualified clearly and fits the role. Unlike a lot of ministers. Yes, unlike but, a lot but, of ministers. But you could also, Grant Shapps, provenly so. But then you could also argue that whilst he is suited for his current role, is he suited for role of party leader? It's hard to say, really. I know. Yeah. That's why I, I would like to see um, Ben Wallace attempt it, but I don't think he holds what... Maybe Liz Truss or Sunak would have held about three months ago. Yeah, he doesn't hold what yeah. he used to have. Mm. I don't know. If, I don't if, think there's there any good a, member yeah. of the Conservative Party to become yeah. Prime Minister at the moment. Like, if there was a leadership election held, say, in January, Rishi would absolutely demolish everyone. Oh, yes, yeah, he was loved. But, but he's now hated. It just, shows how, so. it just shows how quickly the tides of politics turns. 
That's all for today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'd like to remind you before we end that all views expressed on this podcast are the debater's own. It does not represent East Norfolk Sixth Form as an institution. Thank you for letting us keep you in the loop.